Chapter Six, Part One of Books Fatal to Their Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ramon Escamilla. Books Fatal to Their Authors by Peter H. Ditchfield. Chapter Six: Politics and Statesmanship. John Fisher, Reginald Pohl, Martin Marprelate, Udall, Penry, Hackett, Coppinger, Arthington, Cartwright, Cowell, Layton, John Stubbs, Peter Wentworth, R. Dolman, J. Hales, Raboul, William Prynne, Burton, Bastwick, John Selden, John Tutchin, Delon, Samuel Johnson, Algernon Sidney, Edmund Richer, John de Falkenberg, Jean Lenoir, Simon Languet, Abbe Caverac, Daragrand, Pietro Sarpi, Jerome Maggi, Theodore Ranking. The thorny subject of politics has had many victims, and not a few English authors who have dealt in statecraft have suffered on account of their works. The stormy period of the Reformation, with its ebbs and flows, its action and reaction, was not a very safe time for writers of pronounced views. The weight of the block was worn hard by the feet of many pilgrims, and the fires of Smithfield shed a lurid glare over this melancholy page of English history. One of the earliest victims was John Fisher, Bishop of Rochester, a prelate renowned for his learning, his pious life, and for the royal favor which he enjoyed both from Henry the Seventh and Henry the Eighth. The Margaret Professorship at Cambridge, and the colleges of St. John's and Christ's owe their origin to Fisher, who induced Margaret, the Countess of Richmond, and mother of Henry the Seventh, to found them. Fisher became Chancellor of the University, and acted as tutor to Henry the Eighth. High dignities and royal favors were bestowed upon the man whom kings delighted to honor. But Bishop Fisher was no time-serving prelate, nor respecter of persons, and did not hesitate to declare his convictions, whatever consequences might result. When the much-married monarch wearied of his first wife, the ill-fated Catherine, and desired to wed Anne Bolin, the bishops were consulted, and Fisher alone declared that in his opinion the divorce would be unlawful. He wrote a fatal book against the divorce, and thus roused the hatred of the headstrong monarch. He was cast into prison on account of his refusing the oath with regard to the succession, and his supposed connection with the treason of Elizabeth Barton, whose mad ravings caused many troubles. He was deprived not only of his revenues, but also of his clothes, in spite of his extreme age and the severity of a hard winter, and for twelve long dreary months languished in the tower. The Pope added to the resentment which Henry bore to his old tutor by making him a cardinal, and the red hat sealed his doom. The Pope may send him a hat, said the ferocious monarch, but mother of God he shall wear it on his shoulders, 
for I will leave him never a head to set it on. He was charged with having, quote, falsely, maliciously, and traitorously wished, willed, and desired, and by craft, imagined, invented, practiced, and attempted to deprive the king of the dignity, title, and name of his royal estate, that is, of his title and name of supreme head of the Church of England, in the tower, on the seventh day of May last, when, contrary to his allegiance, he said and pronounced in the presence of different true subjects, falsely, maliciously, and traitorously, these words, The king, our sovereign lord, is not supreme head on earth of the Church of England. End quote. These words, drawn from him by Rich, were found sufficient to effect the king's pleasure. The aged prelate was pronounced guilty, and beheaded on July 22, 1535. On his way to the scaffold he exclaimed, Feet, do your duty, you have only a short journey. And then, singing the Te Deum Laudamus, he placed his head upon the block, and the executioner's axe fell. Although Bishop Fisher was condemned for denying the king's supremacy, he incurred the wrath of Henry by his book against the divorce, and that practically sealed his fate. His head was placed on a spike on London Bridge as a warning to others who might be rash enough to incur the displeasure of the ruthless king. Another fatal book which belongs to this period is Pro Unitate Ecclesiae ad Henricum Octavum, written by Reginald Pole in the secure retreat of Padua, in which the author compares Henry to Nebuchadnezzar and prays the Emperor of Germany to direct his arms against so heretical a Christian rather than against the Turks. Secure in his retreat at the papal court, Pole did not himself suffer on account of this book, but the vengeance of Henry fell heavily upon his relations in England, in whose veins ran the royal blood of the Plantagenets who had swayed the English scepter through so many generations. Sir Geoffrey Pole, a brother of the Cardinal, was seized. This arrest was followed by that of Lord Montague, another brother, and the Countess of Salisbury, their mother, who was the daughter of the Duke of Clarence, brother of Edward the Fourth, They were accused of having devised to maintain, promote, and advance one Reginald Pole, late Dean of Exeter, the king's enemy beyond seas, and to deprive the king of his royal state and dignity. Sir Geoffrey Pole contrived to escape the vengeance of Henry by betraying his companions, but the rest were executed. For some time, Pole's mother was kept a prisoner in the tower, as a hostage for her son's conduct. She was more than seventy years of age, and after two years' imprisonment was condemned to be beheaded. When ordered to lay her head upon the block, she replied, quote, No, my head never committed treason. If you will have it, you must take it as you can. End quote. She was held down by force, and died, exclaiming, Quote, blessed are they who suffer persecution for righteousness's sake. End quote. Henry endeavored to tempt the cardinal to England, but in vain was the net spread in sight of any bird. In his absence he was condemned for treason. The king of France and the emperor were asked to deliver him up to justice. Spies and emissaries of Henry were sent to watch him, and he believed that ruffians were hired to assassinate him. But he survived all these perils, being employed by the Pope on various missions and passing his leisure in literary labors. 
he presided at the Council of Trent, and lived to return to England during the reign of Mary, became Archbishop of Canterbury, and strived to appease the sanguinary rage of that dreadful persecution, which is a lasting disgrace to humanity and to the unhappy queen, its chief instigator. The rise of the Puritan faction and all the troubles of the rebellion caused many woes to reckless authors. In the reign of Queen Elizabeth, the Puritan party opened a vehement attack upon the Episcopalians, and published books reviling the whole body, as well as the individual members. The most noted of these works were put forth under the fictitious name of Martin Marprelate. They were base, scurrilous productions, very coarse, breathing forth terrible hate against, quote, bouncing priests and bishops, end quote. Here is an example. A dialogue wherein is laid open the tyrannical dealing of L. bishops against God's children. It is full of scandalous stories of the prelates, who lived irreproachable lives, and were quite innocent of the gross charges which Martin Sr. and Martin Jr. brought against them. The Bishop of Lincoln, named Cooper, was a favorite object of attack, and the pamphleteers were always striving to make, quote, the Cooper's hoops to fly off and his tubs to leak out, end quote. In the epistle to the terrible priests, they tell us of, quote, a parson, well known, who, being in the pulpit and hearing his dog cry, he out with the text, Why, how now, ho? Can you not let my dog alone there? Come, spring, come, spring, and whistled the dog to the pulpit. Martin Marprelate was treated by some according to his folly, and was scoffed in many pamphlets by the wits of the age in language similar to that which he was so fond of using. Thus we have Pasquil of England to Martin Jr., in a countercuff given to Martin Jr a sound box on the ear for the father and sons, huff, ruff, and snuff, the three tame ruffians of the church, who take pepper in their nose because they cannot mar prelates' grating, and similar publications. Archbishop Whitgift proceeded against these authors with much severity. In 1589, a proclamation was issued against them. Several were taken and punished. Udall and Penry, who were the chief authors of these outrageous works, were executed. Hackett, Coppinger, and Arthington, who seem to have been a trio of insane libelers, and Greenwood and Barrow, whose seditious books and pamphlets were leading the way to all the horrors of anarchy introduced by the Anabaptists into Germany and the Netherlands, all felt the vengeance of the Star Chamber, and were severely punished for their revilings. The innocent often suffer with the guilty, and Cartwright was imprisoned for eighteen months, although he denied all connection with the Mar Prelate books, and declared that he had never written or published anything which could be offensive to Her Majesty or detrimental to the State. The Solomon of the North and the Parliament of England dealt hard justice to the interpreter, 1607, which nearly caused its author's death. He published also Institutiones Juris Anglicani ad seriam institutionum imperialum, Cambridge, 1605, eight volumes, which involved him in a charge of wishing to confound the English with the Roman law. Dr. Cowell, in the former work, sounded the battle cry, which was heard a few years later on many a field when the strength of the crown and parliament met in deadly combat. He contended for the absolute monarchy of the King of England, 
His writings are especially valuable as illustrating our national customs. The author says, quote, My true end is the advancement of knowledge, and therefore I have published this poor work, not only to impart the good thereof to those young ones who want it, but also to draw from the learned the supply of my defects. What a man saith well is not, however, to be rejected because he hath many errors. Reprehend who will, in God's name, that is, with sweetness and without reproach. So shall he reap hearty thanks at my hands, and thus more soundly help in a few months, than I, by tossing and tumbling my books at home, could possibly have done in many years. End quote. The Attorney General, Sir Edward Coke, was the determined foe of the unhappy doctor, endeavoring to ridicule him by calling him Dr. Coweel. Then, telling the king that the book limited the supreme power of the royal prerogative, and when that failed, he accused our author to the Parliament of the opposite charge of betraying the liberties of the people. At length, Cowell was condemned by the House to imprisonment. James issued a proclamation against the book, but saved its author from the hangman. However, Fuller states that Dr. Cowell's death, which occurred soon after the condemnation of his book, was hastened by the troubles in which it involved him. A Scottish divine, Dr. Leighton, the father of the illustrious archbishop, incurred the vengeance of the Star Chamber in 1630 on account of his treatise entitled Sion's Plea Against Prelacy, 1628, and received the following punishment, quote, to be committed to the fleet prison for life, and to pay a fine of ten thousand pounds to the king's use, to be degraded from the ministry, to be brought to the pillory at Westminster, while the court was sitting, and be whipped, and after the whipping to have one of his ears cut, one side of his nose slit, and be branded in the face with the letters S.S., signifying sower of sedition. After a few days to be carried to the pillory in Cheapside on a market day, and be there likewise whipped, and have the other ear cut off, and the other side of his nose slit, and then to be shut up in prison for the remainder of his life, unless his majesty be graciously pleased to enlarge him. End quote. A sentence quite sufficiently severe to deter any rash scribe from venturing upon authorship. Maiming an author, cutting off his hands, or ears, or nose, seems to have been a favorite method of criticism in the sixteenth century. One John Stubbs had his right hand cut off for protesting against the proposed marriage of Queen Elizabeth with the Duke of Anjou, which bold act he committed in his work entitled Discovery of a Gaping Gulf, wherein to England is like to be swallowed by another French marriage, if the Lord forbid not the banes by letting Her Majesty see the sin and punishment thereof. 1579 Hallam states that the book was far from being a libel on the Virgin Queen, but that it was written with great affection. However, it was pronounced to be, quote, a fardel of false reports, suggestions, and manifest lies, end quote. Its author and page, the bookseller, were brought into the open market at Westminster, and their right hands were cut off with a butcher's knife and mallet. With amazing loyalty, Stubbs took off his cap with his left hand and shouted, Long live Queen Elizabeth! The autocratic queen had a ready method of dealing with obnoxious authors, as poor Peter Wentworth discovered, who wrote, 
a pithy exhortation to her majesty for establishing her successor to the crown and for his pains was committed to the tower where he pined and died this work advocated the claims of james the sixth of scotland and was written in answer to a pamphlet entitled a conference about the next succession to the crown of england published by r dolman fifteen ninety four the jesuit r parsons cardinal allen and sir francis englefield were the authors who advocated the claims of lord hertford's second son or the children of the countess of derby or the infanta of spain the authors were safe beyond seas but the printer was hung drawn and quartered john hales wrote a declaration of succession of the crown of england in support of lord hertford's children by lady catherine gray and was sent to the tower james i by his craft and guile accomplished several notable and surprising matters and nothing more remarkable than actually to persuade the pope to punish an italian writer named reboul for publishing an apology for the english roman catholics who refused to take the oath of allegiance required by the english monarch in sixteen o six after the discovery of the gunpowder plot this certainly was a singular and remarkable performance and must have required much tact and diplomacy it is conjectured that the artful king so flattered the pope as to induce him to protect the english sovereign from the attacks of his foes Reboul's production was very virulent, exhorting all Catholics to go constantly to England to excite a rising against the king, and to strangle the tyrant with their hands. The Pope ordered the furious writer to be hanged, and an account of his execution, written by a Venetian senator, is found among Casobon's collection of letters. The most famous victim of the Star Chamber was William Prynne, whose work, History of Mastics, or The Player's Scourge, directed against the sinfulness of play-acting, masks, and revels, aroused the indignation of the court. This volume of more than a thousand closely printed quarto pages contains almost all that was ever written against plays and players. Not even the queen was spared, who specially delighted in such pastimes, and occasionally took part in the performances at court. Prynne was ejected from his profession, condemned to stand in pillory at Westminster and Cheapside, to lose both his ears, one in each place, to pay a fine of five thousand pounds, and to be kept in perpetual imprisonment. A few years later, on account of his news from Ipswich, he was again fined five thousand pounds, deprived of the rest of his ears, which a merciful executioner had partially spared, branded on both cheeks with S.L., schismatical libeler, and condemned to imprisonment for life in Carnarvon Castle. He was subsequently removed to the castle of mont in Jersey, where he received kind treatment from his jailer, Sir Philip de Carteret. Prynne was conducted in triumph to London after the victory of the Parliamentarian party, and became a member of the Commons. His pen was ever active, and he left behind him forty volumes of his works, a grand monument of literary activity. Associated with Prynne was Burton, the author of two sermons, For God and King, who wrote against Laud and his party, and endeavored to uphold the authority of Charles, upon which he imagined the bishops were encroaching. Burton suffered the same punishment as Prynne, and Bastwick, a physician, incurred a like sentence on account of his Letany, and another work, entitled 
Apologeticus ad Presules Anglicanos, which were written while the author was a prisoner in the gatehouse of Westminster, and contained a severe attack upon the Laudian party, the High Commission, and the Church of England. He had previously been imprisoned and fined one thousand pounds for his former works, Elencus Papistice Religionis and Flagellum Pontificis. End of chapter six, part one. Recording by Ramon Escamilla. Conway, Arkansas. R A M O N E S C A M I L L A dot wordpress dot com.